You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. That's how this whole year's been. It's going to continue to be like that. We're going to have to play well for four quarters. We're getting better every day. We're still not so good that um, you can sleep on a lead or not play your best. I'm so proud of this team. They could have quit a long time ago. They could have shut it down. This team, every week, does more of what we ask them, does it, does it better, keeps getting better, and that was a pretty good show out there today. You can kind of describe it as a monkey off the back almost. We finally got that first win. We expected to win week one. I'm thankful we're finally here, but we haven't arrived. We have lots of season left, lots of opportunities to win games here, um, so we have to finish. Definitely about you know keeping everybody uh, pushing forward. Uh, this is a non-conference game, but that doesn't change anything for uh, wanting to win. Haven't really looked too uh, much into you know the competitors we're going to go against, but they're halfway through their season just like us. So I know that they got their stuff all together. Uh, they'll be a good football team, uh, and I know we're all excited to be able to uh, to, to get in the, the game that we didn't have at the start of the year. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we are going to talk about the first win of the season as we are almost in the month of November when Nebraska got win number one for Scott Frost Saturday against Minnesota. And now they're home again here Saturday uh, this week against Bethune-Cookman, an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. But uh, let's first get to Saturday as we recap Kind of what we saw and, and how that's carried over into the week for Nebraska. Number one, Adrian Martinez, guys, 25 of 29. Um, his completion percentage now is near 67%. Over the last 20 years of Nebraska football, only one quarterback has had a better season completion percentage, and that quarterback was? Zach Taylor. Scott Frost. Joe Gans. Two th- Joe Gans, 2008, was in the 68% range. Um, and only one other quarterback has been in the 60s, and that was Taylor Martinez for one of his seasons. So hmm. what we're watching right now uh, with Adrian Martinez and what he's doing as a runner, as a thrower, the ability to read defenses, that, that to me is what this season ultimately is going to be all about, getting Taylor Martinez or Adrian Martinez up to speed, ready to go um, for the future of what this is going to be. And we're getting glimpses, of, uh, glimpses, I think, of just how bright this could be with a guy like Adrian in the next four years. Yeah, I mean, you, like you said, you, there's things across the board you can look at as building blocks for the future of this program. But uh, there is no doubt that the future hinges on Ta- Adrian Martinez. You got me saying Taylor. Uh, <laughs> Adrian Martinez, and you, he showed why in that game. He was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, a couple of those incompletions, he had four completions. One of them was a drop by Stanley Morgan. The other one probably should have been defensive pass interference. So theoretically, those numbers could have been even better than what they were. And uh, you have to continuously remind yourself that he is an 18-year-old kid who has the poise of like a 35 year old it's like man. the high school basketball games and they're like he's a freshman exactly <laughs> like it's 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 unbelievable i mean not only like with what he does on the field but with how he carries himself off the field you can already tell talking with senior captains who have been through a lot and played with a lot of different guys that they le- legitimately genuinely respect uh adrian martinez as a leader despite his age and um, it helps when you play like that uh, on the field on Saturdays, but I think it's more so a testament to uh, just how he carries himself and his demeanor on the practice field, in the locker room, and just you know, in his everyday uh, routine that has really made him uh, kind of the face of this program already despite only being on campus for less than a year. Hey, Nate Klaus, let me ask you this about Adrian Martinez. Uh, he didn't play his senior year of high school. If he did and he looked like this now, is he at Nebraska? 
Probably not. <clears throat> I, I think that was probably the the biggest thing that probably happened that happened right for Nebraska, aside from the coaching change and whatnot, and and for this system to be a great fit for him. Obviously, is uh, I know that. I mean, you and I both know that Tennessee when he was committed to Tennessee. Uh, Adrian talked about maybe trying to come back for the last couple of games of his of his senior season, and they said, "No, no, no! Don't don't rush it! Don't come back! You know, let's just let's take our time. You know, uh, kind of healing this the, that shoulder up, and, and we know whatever. what you can do, son. Yeah, we we know what you can do. What you know, no no reason to rush back. And but that was because they didn't want anyone else to to see him either. And and so and then everything kind of happened and played out the way it did. And, and Nebraska ends up and. Um, you know, there was there was a couple big, big, huge lottery jackpots this week. Uh, and I think in terms of the quarterback lottery, Nebraska definitely hit it uh, last year with with Adrian Martinez. Well, and what's crazy to me, guys, is it's really been unnoticed because of Nebraska's 0-6 <laughs> start. The numbers he's put up 400 yards a game the last four games, 400 or more yards per game in Big Ten league games. I mean, this is not. Bethune-Cookman non-conference FCS games. He, he did it against Wisconsin, Northwestern, Purdue. Colorado. And Colorado. I mean, he did this against legit opponents. But because Nebraska has not won these games, Nebraska, he hasn't even been nominated you know, for the uh, Big Ten Freshman of the Week, any of those other games, because they didn't win. I, I think Nebraska considered it a criteria to, to win a conference award. you got to win the game. And they, they didn't win any of those games. So this was the first week that he's even been recognized on any sort of conference level, and he still had to share that award, deservingly so, with Rondell Moore. Yeah, and, you know, those are what they are. When you look at social media and to see national college football writers who check in on the Nebraska game and they see Adrian Martinez, the consensus is this kid is going to be a star, and he's already showing it uh, in his first half season as a college football player. Uh, I mean, anyone that knows about the game and watches him play can see that potential. And so even though he's not getting the accolades, so to speak, he is getting the attention on a national level to where uh, next year um, he's going to be highly talked about, probably be on some preseason watch lists, uh, be on preseason all Big Ten teams. Uh, and so that th- those awards and all that recognition I mean, they, they need to coming. take They need to take him to Big Ten media days next I, I think year. they have to. I don't think they have a choice because he, like I said, he's the face of their program already, and I don't care what you do with your seniors taking them. You take your star quarterback to Big Ten Media Day. Well, and the interesting thing to me is is hearing coaches talk about him. You know, PJ Fleck after the game. I mean, he mentioned Adrian before the game, but afterwards, he he basically said, "Well, that kid is a special player. He's a he's a running back." that can also that's an elite passer and and so and he's bigger than you think he is and and that's I mean he's going to be a nightmare for for opposing coaches for a long time and then you hear Mario Verdusco talk about him and and what he needs to work on and it's it's kind of nitpicky details yeah. it's his his body posture it's his his feet here and there it's his eyeballs here and there it's not the typical thing you hear a coach say well this true freshman needs to work on x y and z it's it's I mean he is so far ahead of the game it's it's pretty unreal what what amazes me is he can identify seven or eight men in the box and then he knows how to change the play 
based on the look he's getting. And not only does he know how to change the play, he executes it. And there are just so few quarterbacks that have his skill set that can run and throw and execute at that level. And, and you think about him not playing football for a whole year before this. His last win as a quarterback before Saturday was a junior playoff game his junior year of high school. Well, and there's the best part about him, and one of the intangibles that you just can't teach, is that there is no harsher critic or no one that has a higher standard for what his potential could be than Adrian Martinez. I mean, he, after that breakout performance, his, his thing was, uh, asked him about his play, he said, I was just doing my job. And it was my other teammates blocking well, catching the ball, running the football that made me, uh, allowed me to have a good game. And so, I mean, that is, I mean, you talk about Verdusco having, you know, being really critical and trying to nitpick. He doesn't really have to because Adrian is going to nitpick every single aspect of his game. And if he makes a mistake, that's going to be what he remembers as opposed to putting up 400 total yards of offense and three touchdowns. Yeah, you, you mentioned the intangibles, and I think that's probably what really, really separates him. I mean, obviously, he's got the physical abilities that, that are pretty rare, but uh, to, to have it between the ears, to be as mature as he is, to, to be able to, to be a, a, a fast blinker or, or whatever, quick blinker or whatever yep. they you know decision maker um you have all of that and, and the leadership ability i mean that's that's what really makes him pretty special all right when we come back we are going to talk more about saturday's game and what nebraska looks to get out of this game especially on the offense against bethune cookman that's next here you're listening to the husker online show you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics yeah, it's not ideal because we need to get ready for this game. We're going to approach this game like any other, and, and we got to be ready to go out and play well and win the game. But 12 weeks in a row is tough. You, you see the NFL coaches all the time when they win talk about victory Mondays and say see you on Wednesday. Not only do our guys need to rest a little physically, uh, this has been long and a little bit stressful for these guys, and I think a day where they don't have to come into the building is, is positive. So we're going to make up for that time tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, make sure our guys are dialed in and ready. But we just kind of felt like one day off would benefit us more than trying to get them back out there right away again. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Scott Frost discussing the plan of attack this week as he gave the players off Monday um, trying to just give everybody a little bit of rest. They don't have a bye week. This game was supposed to be the bye week, so uh, no practice on Monday. They didn't wear shoulder pads, I believe, on Tuesday. Uh, so they've really tried to lessen the workload, make it more mental than physical as they get ready for Bethune-Cookman. This segment here of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, five locations in Omaha, one here in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's for Saturday's Bethune-Cookman game or afterwards there'll be plenty of college football on as well as all the NFL action on Sunday at any one of the five. Omaha Tanner's are our one location here in Lincoln. But you know, let's talk about the approach of the week. It, it, it's an interesting one, um, but as I've talked to people around the Bethune-Cookman program as well, they're almost treating it like a bye week. Uh, I, I, I get the impression Bethune-Cookman's not going to play all of their frontline guys for four quarters either. They're going to use this as a developmental game. I think they know what this game is. It's an opportunity for Nebraska to make up a game, get a win, and Bethune-Cookman's going to get $800,000 for it. Yeah, and I think that's in desperate times you got to – call for some unique measures and that's exactly what both these teams had to do basically taking away a buy and like frost said in the open uh, that really puts a lot of physical demand on your team uh, to make it through that many games of football uh, without 
a week off. I mean, that, that bye week is so valuable just for guys to get their legs back under them and just step away. <laughs> for the media. <laughs> a little, yeah, for everybody. And, but So they don't have that luxury, though. Uh, and like you said, that getting that win uh, was the most important thing of all. And so, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And so they've had a unique approach this week. But, you know, talking to Troy Walters and some of the other coaches um, on Wednesday, um, they still had a pretty good week of practice. And I guess, you know, we'll see how that translates into the game because um, last week – Every day was their best day of practice that they've ever had, and that obviously showed for the first time on game day. Now that you've completely changed up your routine, um, you know, basically had one day of full pads practice. I think they might go a little bit heavier later into the week um, than they normally do, but um, you know, I guess the, the fact that the opponent is kind of going in with the same situation helps and allows you to, I guess, lighten the load a little bit. But um, again, you want to see uh, the win, I don't think is as much of a question. It's do, can you go out there and dominate this game, put up some big numbers, and then continue this upward positivity that you built with that first win last week? Yeah, you don't want to take a step back in terms of execution. and You don't want things to be sloppy. But if there's one thing we know about this team, it's that they're a pretty mature group. I mean, they've continued to come to work every day, even though they were winless. You know, they, they had the focus to keep working hard and, and keep kind of buying into the system and everything. So I, I feel like this, this group is fairly mature. They had the day off on Monday. Uh, Tuesday was they were able to take the pads off halfway through practice and and still keep the intensity level up. You know, and from talking with some of the guys, they they said they they know that they have to respect their opponent, whether whether they're playing a high school team or if Alabama was coming into town. They they've got to be focused and ready to play Saturday. And 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 really, I have no reason to to not believe that that's just talk I, I think that this team is pretty dialed in and mature and they're handling it that way yeah I think it's just a matter of how you manage this game and, and what the plan is I think you have to have a couple of plans of attack for Nebraska but if it goes to plan and you're doing really well and you jump up big and remember Florida Atlantic jumped up on these guys 29 nothing and then they kind of pulled back and that score looked a lot closer than what it was but they're coming off a loss against North Carolina A&T where they were blowing out last week in Bethune-Cookman. That's the best team in their conference. They still have conference games remaining, so they also don't want to get their team banged up. But I would think they're going to have kind of an internal plan that will not be made public about how they you know, get guys in. If we're up by this much, we're going to kind of rotate guys in this quarter at this time. Um, I do know that it sounds like both – uh, Andrew Bunch and Noah Vedrill have been kind of splitting the reps of the number two offense this week, so I'd imagine we're going to see both quarterbacks play. But it's a matter of how much you play your frontline guys, particularly some of these guys like running backs, um, Defino Zigbo, Mo Washington. But can you get Miles Jones in? I mean, we've, we've talked about some of these guys for a long time, and they still haven't been able to get on the field yet. Yeah, they're starting to get to that point in the season where you're hitting that final four-game window where you want to try and mix some of those guys in because you're dumb if you don't. So maybe not this week obviously this would be ideal if you get out to a huge lead and you can play a lot of those guys but you know at some point you know they got to utilize those four games so i would expect to see several new faces especially if things go according to plan but uh, the other side to that though is you know this is a, a team that uh its biggest pitch is you know recruiting and look at the numbers we put up and you know look at look at how potent this offense could be this could be a pretty good opportunity to pad some stats. So at the end of the year, when you're in December on the recruiting trail, you can point to your final numbers and say, look at what we averaged. And if you go out and put up 
600 yards of offense and 60 points or whatever they could do on Saturday. And that would go a long way in helping that. And then you have some individuals that are looking for some milestones too. Divina Zigbo has a legitimate chance to be Nebraska's first thousand yard back since 2014. Stanley Morgan uh, is creeping up on Kenny. I think he needs 35 catches to catch Kenny Bell's uh, career record. And then J.D. Spielman's closing on the thousand yard receiver. So there's guys that have the opportunity to really pad some stats and take a big jump towards some significant um, individual milestones that, you know, shortening the amount of time they can play in this game might hurt their chances in doing that. Yeah, I think you're going to see Nebraska go, go at a pretty feverish pace in the first half and, and probably put up a ton of numbers in that first half before they really start inserting a lot of new faces in. But but you do have to take advantage of that opportunity to to put in the Miles Jones, to put in even guys like like a Javon McQuitty. I'm a Kel Wilbon, a senior running back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. A guy that hasn't gotten a touch all year. I mean, this is probably the only time – Maybe Illinois, but this might be the only time he'll play all year. So, yeah, you want to reward a few of these guys, right, Nate? Yeah, you have to. Uh, I think you, you, you absolutely have to. And I guarantee you, uh, with as organized as, as the staff is, I, there's, there's a plan in place. I, I, I promise you that. Now, obviously, they're not going to reveal what the plan is. But uh, I guarantee you that all the faces that fans have been kind of curious about where they're at or why they aren't you know, playing a whole lot or whatever, we're probably going to see them, especially in the second half this weekend. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk Nebraska, Bethune, Cookman. I want to hit on the running backs real fast before we leave here. Just that combination, Robin, of Divino, Zigbo, Maurice Washington and how it's almost made things easier here the last few weeks. Just having two versus three, and you're seeing both of these guys get more and more comfortable. Well, I think just having that many backs was almost uh, made things a little more complicated than it needed to be. Uh, you know, it, it was, was almost all... making everybody happy, exactly. try, trying to keep everybody politically on the same page. But now you don't have to worry about Greg Bell. Well, yeah, clearly there were people that were very concerned about what their role was going to be, and when that role got taken away, they didn't handle it well. So. You got guys that, for one, are producing at a very high level right now. I mean, that that one-two punch of Zigbo and Washington is as good of a one-two punch Nebraska's had in that backfield in several years. So um, that is good. And then the guys that are team-first players, too. Um, I think that's a, a huge part. And then Adrian Martinez is that third element. This run game is clicking on all cylinders. Well, we're going to talk some defense when we come back. Eric Shenander got the rest of the black shirts and handed them out this week to the remainder of the starting defense. But one guy didn't accept his. We'll talk about that and much more next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I read some things that was about practice for me. It was really more about the game, I guess. It didn't didn't sit well with me, how I uh, performed in the game, you know, as far as, as that. And, you know, from, from the definition of what I'd been told what a black shirt was from uh, Grant and Jason, those guys that had come and talked to us, you know, it just didn't sit right with me putting that jersey on if uh, I didn't feel like I had lived up to that in the game. Um, so I definitely wanted to be something, you know, I, I earned. Want to get all the starters waiting for an opportune time. Obviously, not a good time when you lose a football game, but uh, the guys learn how to practice, learn what we want out of the defense. This game, not doing their own stuff. Everybody's kind of playing within the defense, so it was a good time to get the starters in, in the black shirts. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan around to watch at Nate Klaus as that was defensive coordinator Eric Shenander and defensive end Ben Stilley as Shenander handed out four new black shirts this week. Carlos and Khalil Davis and then Trey Neal um, and cornerback Lamar Jackson were the four. Now there was a fifth that did not accept it and that was Ben Stilley. And let's get to that out of the gates as you heard his reasoning why he just didn't feel like 
Um, he had been playing to the level of what a true black shirt was. And I know, Nate, you were in that interview with Ben on Wednesday. <laughs> You're like, I could just feel the, the, the neck hair standing up of all the traditionalists <laughs> and the Nebraska football fans um, with Ben Stilley's comments. Well, yeah, he basically said, you know what, look, uh, when Grant Wistrom and Jason Peter came and talked to the team earlier this summer, they said you have to – if a, a true black shirt is full tilt, 100% effort, every single rep in practice, every single play during a game. And he, he said, yeah, I've played worse games in my career at Nebraska, but when I went back and watched the film with all my teammates in that, in that defensive line room, there were plays um, you know, the, from the backside that were going away from him that where he wasn't giving maximum effort. And, and after watching that film, he went down to the locker room and there was a black shirt in his locker. And he said after kind of being called out, I guess, during the, the film meeting, um, he said he, he would feel like a fraud if he put that black shirt on and went out in the practice field and acted like like the film was just fine and that he gave maximum effort. And so that's why he, he basically went to Jay Terry, the equipment manager, and, and requested his yellow jersey back and uh, didn't, didn't put the black And the he's black a no-nonsense guy. Yeah, he's all business all the time. And, and this wasn't something where he was trying to drum up a bunch of drama or, or you know, it, this was not a look-at-me type of deal. He just feels like if, if he's going to be a leader on this team and, and kind of, you know, hold people accountable – he had to hold himself accountable and, and to a certain standard first. You know, I think the other big story out of the, the new black shirt wave is Lamar Jackson. Uh, you really got to credit him uh, for handling this whole situation the way that he did. Uh, I know there were a lot of people after he got demoted, I think it was the Purdue game. Is yeah, that Purdue. right? Yeah, uh, that we're basically writing him off as the next guy to transfer. You know, like there's there's no way he's going to stick it out. I mean, the, the guy just needs to get out of here and go back to California. Well, he did stick it out, and he spent his time working as a second string behind Eric Lee. He worked his way back into the starting lineup, and the past two weeks he has played the best football of his career, in my opinion, and he earned that black shirt back, and there's a huge sense of pride in him uh, for doing that. I think that he uh, took it as a direct personal challenge to respond uh, the way that he did. You know, there Obviously, he could have gone two different ways. He took the right path, and you, you really got to tip your hat for just the growth as a person that Lamar Jackson has shown this year uh, just over the past couple months uh, to get to where he is now. And like I said, he's playing some good ball right now. Yeah, I think all of us would agree there was a point, especially after the Purdue game, knowing Lamar, kind of knowing how easy maybe his career had come to him as far as get, I mean, I think he was given a black shirt maybe his freshman year. I know he was a sophomore year, but he was pretty much in a starting type role from the minute he was on campus when Brian Stewart recruited him. And you know, I, I just think for him, he needed to have a little bit of dirt thrown in his face to see how he would respond to it. And I think a lot of us thought initially he'd be out of here. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I mean, I think after the Purdue game, we're like, well, Oregon State's got a new corner. I mean, that was that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of the, the 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 thought process on this show, and um, for him to stick it out. And I'd be curious to know if the Jebbias of the world and that Oregon State contingent that had been kind of maybe getting inside the back door of the program even reached out to Lamar and tried to convince him to leave Nebraska. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if if that happened, but. Um, I, I can tell you, though, that he, Lamar Jackson is a kid who's never, ever been benched for anything in his entire life. Uh, but the, I think the thing that was that I found the most interesting is that he said he'd never really like had a, a sit down one on one meeting or conversation with the coaches before until after the day after that Purdue game. And 
Uh, he had a, a sit-down meeting with Chenander and Frost, and and it was it was during that meeting when Chenander kind of brought up some some of his own personal experiences, uh, you know, when he faced adversity in his life, and um, and they kind of connected on a different level. And and it's it, I think from that point on, he's kind of um, you know really kind of taken a turn for the better, you know, because this is not something. I mean, we've been talking about Lamar Jackson all summer long, uh, really date, dating back to last spring. You know, the, the coaches have not been shy about calling him out and, and everything. And uh, but it, it kind of took being benched, being humbled, and then having that you know personal experience or personal relationship uh, or, or meeting, whatever you want to call it, to, for him to really kind of turn the corner. And I think he's done that. And I'm going to sound like an old man here, but kids today just don't get that very often. Sure. I mean, I, I just don't think the younger kids coming up, you know, they're able to switch teams and, and move around, whether it's at the club level or the high school level to always kind of create the path that they want. And it's rare today that you see coaches do that. So I, you got to give the staff a lot of respect because they kind of rolled the dice there. I mean, we're, we're seeing that, yeah, they had to put Eric Lee on the field, but it, I don't think they had a lot of confidence in Eric Lee because we haven't seen him play since that uh, game he started for Lamar. But then from that point on, Lamar got the message. Right, and I think there's a pretty good chance they did that for a reason because everyone that watches Lamar Jackson play knows how good he can be if it were ever to all come together. And they've been waiting, you know, basically three and a half years for that to happen. And it took this situation for him, that, that light bulb to finally come on for him. And so, like I said, these last two games, he's been outstanding. Uh, he's looked like that four-star, you know, number one, I guess he was safety coming out of high school, but number one defensive back in the country. Uh, and so, if, you know, that, like you said, the staff took a risk. They could have very easily run him off and uh, had to go searching for another cornerback in this class. But, uh, he took the right path, and now I think both Nebraska and Lamar Jackson are going to be significantly better because of it. Well, and the other thing to the, all this, too, is that, you know, we talked about him basically having a spot guaranteed from the minute he got on campus. But also, I mean, this is a kid who's been in three different uh, defensive systems now. He's had three different defensive backs coaches. I mean, th things have not necessarily been – He never uh, played corner before. Yeah, he's, and he's never played corner before. So, I mean, this has not been the, the you know, the, the model of consistency for his situation uh, that you would have liked for, for anybody. Or and, and he's not alone in that boat, but – uh, I mean, he's he's had to deal with a, a lot of different things, and uh, and you really do hope that, given the amount of talent that he has, that this has kind of been the moment where he the light bulb goes on, so to speak. Briefly, as we wrap up defensive discussion, Nebraska's uh, pass rush drew their first holding penalty in a Big Ten conference game in 19 uh, conference games in 21. Or 20 was it 21? Okay, it was accepted holding calls on a pass play. And let me tell you, you can look at this one of two ways. One. The Big Ten refs are out to screw Nebraska. Or two, that's how bad Nebraska's pass rush has been since Randy Gregory and Malik Collins left the program. I tend to side towards that side of the argument because they have not had NFL dudes up front that can beat Big Ten offensive linemen and draw holding penalties. Yeah, offensive linemen hold when they're getting beat, and Nebraska wasn't beating anybody. When Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine and Avery Robert or Avery Moss, not Avery Roberts, Avery <laughs> Moss and, and Sue, not Sue, Gregory. Uh, Gregory, Gregory. I mean, they were drawing holding calls, yeah, but yeah. they haven't had guys that can draw holding and penalties. that goes back to the whole issue of Nebraska's inability to get to the quarterback. I mean, that's been one of their biggest problems defensively because when you're not creating pressure, you're putting so much responsibility on the back 
back end. It's of your the refs. It's and, the refs. And Nebraska's back end hasn't been any good, and so it's just been a total disaster. So uh, hopefully that will continue to improve. They can recruit some of those elite level pass rushers, and then uh, maybe the penalties will start to balance out as a result. Yeah, I'm not going to give the refs a complete pass there because that is still. Mick Stoltenberg has been whole over his career that yeah, it hasn't I mean, been called. That's but. still a pretty un- unbelievable stat. But but the fact remains is Nebraska hasn't had an elite level pass rusher since Randy Gregory. Uh, especially I mean, off the Collins edge. could get in, but Collins yeah. could get in, but really where it happens mostly is, is off the edge. When you've got a guy who's coming off the edge, uh, that you have to account for all the time. And Nebraska just has not had that guy for, uh, since, since Randy Gregory and, and to get one, uh, to get another one into the program, you have to have someone that, that can show the ability to rush a passer and, and hopefully someone emerges here for Nebraska in that regard. All right. When we come back, we'll be joined in studio by Husker online intern, Allie snow as we'll take your questions in the mailbag that's next here you're listening to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics well i've known coach sims for a long time those guys have come over when i was at ucf to clinic with us Um, i'm from that area grew up uh, watching that program over the years and then when i went to ucf obviously we played against those guys Came a rivalry early on in my career there. The receivers coach was a was a graduate assistant for me, you know. So I know quite a few of those guys. You know, when I started teaching in you know, Daytona Beach, um, they the uh, CFO uh, was a colleague of mine there. So a lot of those guys over there, I know. Um, you know, that's the area I grew up in and watched those guys uh, play for a long time. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Nebraska's tight ends coach Sean Becton talking about his relationship with Bethune-Cookman and their head coach Terry Sims and just how that helped Nebraska. Scott Frost, Bob Burton, and the people at the university kind of get this thing going for the game. We're going to see Saturday at 11 a.m. And now we move on to our mailbag segment. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, and we're going to welcome in the world-famous millennial Husker Online intern, (laughs) Allie Snow. What do you got for us in the mailbag? Hey, guys. So the first question I have for you are what are the biggest things you are looking for this week, even though we are playing an inferior team? Can Nebraska execute, go to work, and and just take care of business? I mean, can they make this look like what it's supposed to look like? That's what I want to see. Yeah, exactly. I mean, go out there, dominate the first quarter, dominate the second quarter, pull the you know majority of your starters by halftime, and let your new guys play. Get some of those young guys involved uh, you know, that we were talking about earlier, some of those freshmen, and just kind of uh, make this as much of a week off as possible. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I want to see a clean game, You know, not a bunch of penalties or procedural things. I, I want to see Nebraska go out and take care of business and, and pretty much coast with, uh, with the reserves in the second this half. This is what I want to see in the second half. I want to see Adrian Martinez and Divino Zigbo on the bench eating a runza. (laughs) I want to have my game story written by (laughs) halftime. I want to be done where I can get ready for the World Series and the Dodgers game that night. So, all right, next question. What do you have? All right, so Robin kind of touched on this earlier, but at this point in the season, what is more likely? Stanley Morgan, J.D. Spielman, or Divino Zigbo hits 1,000 yards? I think there's a pretty good chance two of the three get it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't rule out – depending on the numbers from this game Saturday – if they can somehow sneak Ozigbo like 150, then he's up to 750. He's in. I mean, yeah. he, he's going to get 1,000. Yeah, with the way they've been running the ball, I think that's almost the most likely of those. 
just because I mean they've been he's averaging what like 150 yards. He's got a, at least 150 yards in three of his last four games. He and, needs 400 over five. To and get he's to got Bethune Cookman and Illinois still on the schedule. So I mean, there's an opportunity there to make up a whole bunch of yards. But Iowa and Michigan State are two of the better rushing defenses in the country. So there's going to be some challenges to get to a thousand. But I think it happens. I yeah, don't know, Nate. What do you too. think? Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, Divine probably gets to a thousand pretty. And I won't. I guess I shouldn't say easily, but. I would not be surprised if that happens. And then I think at least one of Stanley or J.D. hits 1,000 yards receiving as well. I think that um, with the way that Adrian Martinez has been throwing the ball um, and with the emergence of J.D., uh, that that could open up Stanley a little bit more uh, down the stretch. So I almost kind of lean a little bit more towards Stanley. Uh, maybe getting there before J.D. We'll see. Yeah, J.D. needs, what, 386 more yards? Uh, to get to a thousand, so I mean, he's shown capable of getting two hundred in a game. Yeah. So who knows? So a few weeks ago, a Husker Online writer mentioned Norfolk Catholics Dylan Couts has a scholarship offer from Minnesota, but only for his last two years of college. Are delayed two-year athletic scholarship offers now officially available, or did the writer mean to say that the Gophers just felt? Couts would likely earn a scholarship after two years in their program. Nate, before you did this job, at one time you sold cars. That to me sounds like a car deal, like just kind of trying to make it look real good on paper. And, and, and I mean, it's a walk-on offer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, PJ Fleck dresses the way he dresses for a reason, <laughs> and, and that's because he. I mean, he would make a good car salesman. So. Uh, yeah, this is this is kind of some you know shiny walk-on offer wrapped up um, and packaged real nice. Uh, they call it a maroon offer, uh, <laughs> God, which basically so corny. yeah, which basically means that hey, come and walk on, and we guarantee you that after two years you'll be put on scholarship. So it's not a it's not a technical you know deal. It's not like a gray shirt that everyone's heard of, or even a blue shirt, which is a more you know kind of a, a newer term that that some schools have have used to, to kind of get around the rules. But uh, this basically is a preferred walk-on offer, and they've guaranteed him that after two years in the program, he'll be put on scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, I envision at a car dealership when they're writing all the numbers on a piece of paper and just trying to confuse you. And they're like, and this is how we'll get your payments down to 250 a month. Yeah, this, this is just a bunch of numbers moved around and, and, and kind of packaged differently. All right, what do you got for us next, Allie? All right, so speaking of recruits, which recruit of Nebraska's past was the one that got away for you? Who do you wish you would have seen in a Nebraska uniform that Nebraska had an actual shot with? Did you just go Nebraska? Did you say Nebraska? Did I say Nebraska? <laughs> it sounded like you said Nebraska. <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. No, we're just giving you a hard time. Um, there's one for me, Nate, I'll, I'll say is Reggie Smith, um, the cornerback out of Oklahoma, just because it was early on in my days of really covering recruiting and, and you knew how good Reggie Smith was going to be at Nebraska. If he came here and I'll never forget him at the camp and John Blake with his Escalade driving Reggie Smith around campus, which I don't even know was within the rules, but he was giving him a ride to the dorms from the practice fields in his Escalade. And I'm like, it, I mean, and they made that a lot closer for a recruiting battle for a top Oklahoma kid than it probably should have. Well, yeah, that was, I'll say this: that was he had committed to John Blake, and then when and then when he officially announced it, you know, and, and made it public that he was going to Oklahoma, John Blake was crushed. Like he was, I'm telling you, like 
like tears in in his office crushed. But you knew when he was in his high school with like 2,000 kids at the assembly, usually the kid in yeah. Oklahoma is not going to pick against Oklahoma at yeah, that point. Yeah, that, that's not really happening. But, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. That, Jason Pierre-Paul? Yeah, Jason Pierre-Paul hurt, uh, you know, Haloti Nada, if you want to go way back. Uh, he, he was in for the, the Notre Dame game back in, what, 2000? 2001. 2001. Uh, he was in for that and, and had basically – you know, he might have been a silent commit for a while, um, but I'm going to go to that 2007 uh, recruiting class. I think that uh, you know Nebraska had one heck of a class coming together, and take your pick, anybody in, in that class, Blaine Gabbert. Uh, I mean, all, all those guys, Jonas Gray, Kenny Demons. Um, uh, you know, even it, it Dan Hoke and and uh, Big, Ry- Riley Reef, the kid from uh, Trevor Elkhorn. Robinson. I mean, all all those guys that were committed. It was that was like a top five, top yeah, probably top ten, top five class. Uh, any one of those guys, even or even if you want to throw in a Josh Freeman. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that I think would have been really really good at Nebraska uh, that that never did end up making it. Here. Bill Callahan was a lot closer than people really want to admit. I mean, right. it was it was pretty close to happening for him here. If if a couple of those things like you mentioned would have came to fruition, if 2007 the Big 12 didn't have its best offensive year ever, mm-hmm. and Kevin Cosgrove had no experience drawing up good schemes against spreads. I mean, it was, well, we saw what all his players did for Bo Pelini in the first couple of years of, of his career. Almost won two conference titles, exactly. 2009, 2010. All right, we got time, Allie, for one more light one. You got something fun and light to end on. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, if Nebraska didn't have Frost, who would be your choice to lead the Huskers, and who is one coach you wouldn't touch with a 100-foot pole? Oh, man. <laughs> God, that's a really, really good question. Um, it's a matter of – where you go, like, do you stay in the family or go out of the family? And, and, and that would be the debate because if you stay in the family, you're fairly limited. I mean, there's just not a lot of names out there. I mean, you have Turner Gill. Um, you have uh, Zach Taylor now is with the Rams passing game coordinator. Um, you got Craig Bull. Um, I mean, you don't have a lot of names within the Husker family, so that's what made things so unique. I'll throw one name out there. I think Dave Doreen, the North Carolina State coach, he's a Midwestern guy. I know that at one time, especially when Bo Pelini was going to go to Arkansas, it looked like and after the 2012 Big Ten title game, he was very interested in the Nebraska job. So that's one name that intrigued me, and he's doing a great job at North Carolina State. If you were just to go random, random outside guy, as far as a guy I wouldn't want to work around, that's a great question too because there, there's a lot of guys. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd want to work around Kirby Smart or Saban, but I know they're good coaches. Yeah. I would say you know, during the before Frost was hired, there were a lot of names getting thrown out, and one that intrigued me was Justin Fuente, uh, who was at Memphis and ended up going to Virginia Tech, is doing a pretty good job with the Hokies there. I think that he his style would lend itself very well to what Nebraska kind of previously identified itself as. Worst coach that I would not want to be at Nebraska, the Bob Diaco. Yeah, Bob, Bobby. Diaco. Can you imagine? Yeah, that would be. <laughs> that would be. It'd be like um, the most miserable job ever. Miserable. He ran sprints with the players every Monday, and I was explaining that to an ex-Husker in the NFL that was in the NFL, and I'm like, yeah, Diaco on Mondays would make the other defensive coaches run sprints. John with- Perella with his busted-up decade-in-the-NFL knees yep. made him do up-downs. Up-downs. And it's like, in, in this NFL Husker was like, what in the hell? I mean, yeah, yeah. Bob Diaco, you know what would just be fun? I mean, it would never happen, but Lane Kiffin, just just see what it would do oh, here. Yeah. That would be fun. It would be good I would TV. Enjoy that. Yeah. My, I've got two guys. 
as far as coaches that made moves this past year, I, I've always been kind of a fan of Dan Mullen. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I, I'd, I'd like to see that if Frost weren't here. He followed you on Twitter once. He did, yeah. Um, he was kicking the tires of that Nebraska job. That was, that was interesting. And then um, and then uh, another coach that I really like and I kind of admire from afar is Dino Babers at Syracuse. I think he's one heck of a motivator. Uh, I think he's a pretty good coach. What he's done at Syracuse, he's, he's racked up some good wins there. And one coach that I would absolutely hate to be around – uh, mostly because I, I have a very poor opinion of him is Bobby Petrino. Mm. Yeah, he's uh, things would get a little slimy. Yeah, questionable character <laughs> at, at best, both on and off the field. All right, well that wraps it up here for the mailbag, Allie. Thank you for coming in here and joining us today. Yes, you are welcome. All right, when we come back, we'll wrap the show up. We'll talk some recruiting with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, well, our first priority is going to be ready to be ready to play and try to win the game. I mean, this is the team that's four and four. Uh, that's not that's a better record than what we have. So we're going to do everything we can to prepare them. We're going to get a couple coaches out this week. We've been doing that in other weeks too. Um, we got some capable guys as GAs and helpers that are, are capable of getting us through a practice, and we'll get some guys out to try to help recruiting, but. We need to do what we need to do to get ready for the game. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment of the show. We'll talk some recruiting here. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as you just heard from Scott Frost, how they're trying to make do of what bye week they have, which is no bye week, and that means they've had to go out on the road and do some recruiting uh, early in the week. I know Javon DeWitt and uh, was it Sean Becton, Becton. Nate, uh, went out on Monday, and, I mean, it was essentially about a – they were able to get into a school for a school day, make some visits, and get back in town Monday night to be back for practice Tuesday. Uh, but then later in the week, you're going to have like Ryan Held and some other guys get down to the JUCOs, uh, probably in Kansas and these other places. Um, so what is your read? I mean, what is Nebraska going to try to get accomplished here on this bye week as far as priority evaluations? Well, from from my take, it looks like they're, what they're, uh, kind of what the game plan is is for them to go out and see some of their – uh, more highly valued targets here down the stretch run. And uh, and a lot of those guys are JUCO guys and, and players that they've recently offered here over the last week or two. We've seen, you know, probably probably eight or, or nine uh, closing in on 10 junior college offers go out uh, to between offensive tackles and outside linebackers, a couple of defensive backs. Um, so I, I think that's definitely going to be a priority. You know, earlier in the week, um, Sean Becton, I know for sure, was in uh, was in Georgia seeing Jeremy James, who's offensive tackle that was uh, committed or that is committed to Ole Miss that, that took an official visit to Nebraska earlier this season. So it's more of those, you know, valued targets that, that Nebraska is trying to close in on, uh, whether they've already visited or they're planning uh, to take their trip here in the next you know month or so. Yeah, Nate, you look at JUCO stuff, and what's your read on the Illinois game and the Michigan State game as far as how many high-value JUCO targets can Nebraska get in on those weeks? Because a lot of JUCOs will almost be done with the regular season by that point. Yeah, so the, the Illinois game is going to be difficult because that's that's the weekend where a lot of the regular seasons end for junior college programs. 
but it, it's shaping up to be, to look like the the Michigan State game could be the weekend where we see a lot of their top junior college targets be able to make it in. And you hope that's a two thirty game. Yeah, you hope it's a two thirty or, or a night game, uh, so all those guys can get in into town, uh, you know, in time for the game and, and to take advantage of that of uh, that visit weekend. You know, I know uh, Diedrich Mills, the the junior college running back commit, is going to be coming in for sure. Marquise Bell. Um, you know the the safety out of Coffeyville, and maybe even Troy Simon, the Cornerville out of Coffeyville. Those those guys are probably going to be coming in for that weekend, and uh, there very well could be a, a couple offensive tackle targets uh, visiting that weekend too. So that's shaping up to be a really JUCO heavy recruiting weekend. Now, Nate, Nebraska had a official visit weekend, but really the biggest uh, visitor news was not an official. It was Bryce Benhart coming back to Lincoln to watch the Huskers dismantle his home state Gophers. And now we've been talking about this for seemingly a long time, uh, but when the heck is Bryce Benhart going to pull the trigger? Because it it feels like it's going to happen here soon. Yeah, I I think that (laughs) that's kind of – all signs are pointing that direction. It's just a matter of when that's going to – you know or why he's dragging his feet or when that's necessarily going to happen. Um, and that's anybody's guess right now because he plays things about as close to the vest as, as anyone I've ever seen. Uh, he doesn't grant interviews. Um, you know, there's very little information that comes out of his camp or, you know, whether it be from his dad or from, from his coach or whoever. Uh, there's very, very little information that comes out. But what I do know is that he remains extremely high in Nebraska. And obviously, they're not visiting for the heck of it. He came in for his official for the Akron game, was unable to see or inexperience an entire game, uh, obviously, because that, because of the, the weather. Uh, and so they came in for the Minnesota game. And I tell you what. Uh, you really could not have drew it up any better for him to come in and, and see an explosive offense to, to have that type of atmosphere where people are jacked up to, for Nebraska getting their first win um, and, and then to go into the locker room afterwards and, and to have that experience where you had a, a full locker room of, of uh, excited players, excited coaches. I mean, that is a completely organic feeling uh, that you, you can't you can't duplicate that you, you can draw up the perfect uh you know visit itinerary for these recruits but that type of celebration and that atmosphere is something that you just no matter what you put together that that's something that will stick with these kids for a very long time and uh and I think Ben Hart will probably be making a decision sooner than later and I still think it's Nebraska has the lead there now Nate uh the other big uh recruiting thing wasn't involving anything from the weekend at Minnesota the game against Minnesota it was kind of just the chatter, the movement behind the scenes involving Wandell Robinson, who's set to make his decision on November 1st. Now, Wandell will not be making a visit to Nebraska for this Bethune-Cookman game because he can't get here in time, but man, it's sure looking like he could be a Husker here by next week. Yeah, if Bryce Benhart is is the top overall offensive target on Nebraska's board, then Wandale Robinson is, is probably 1B, and you could you could probably flip-flop those guys. Maybe it's Robinson 1A, uh, Benhart 1B, but bottom line is that it's looking very, very good for Wandale Robinson to end up picking Nebraska on November 1st. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's a it's a deal where 
he is not blinded by all the the shiny glitzy things uh, with recruiting he's a very well grounded kid and he's looking for the very best fit and he thinks that nebraska's offense is the perfect fit for his skill set and that was evidenced by a tweet that he made last week you know when nebraska had like 389 yards or whatever it was in the first half he he made kind of a little bit of a you know, a tweet uh, with a uh, with you know some emojis and whatnot. He, I mean, that was something that he was very much paying attention to, and and I think that this has been trending towards Nebraska for quite a while now. Nebraska needed to survive the Ohio State visit, uh, and and I feel like that's that's exactly what has happened here, and um, and we'll find out here in the next week. But if and when Wondell Robinson commits to Nebraska, that is big, big news. He He's a game-changing type of athlete. And, Nate, the visitors were in as well. Four officials, what were your big takeaways from the weekend? Well, big takeaways from the weekend for me is that this is going to be one of those weekends. While Nebraska didn't get any commitments during the the visit weekend, I think that we're going to look back and say, okay, that was a really, really important weekend where they they had recruits on campus. It was the first time that that they had any recruits on campus in in over a month or so because they had three away games. And the one home game was that Troy game where it was 11 o'clock kickoff. So uh, so the first time to get kids back on campus, it was a it was a big win, and I think that Nebraska after the the weekend uh, they lead for a guy like Darian Chase, a wide receiver out of Washington. I feel really good about their chances with Noah Pola Gates, the four star safety out of Arizona, uh, and Tavian Mayo, the the cornerback out of Georgia. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see all of those kids end up at Nebraska, all four official visitors, uh, one of which Jamie Nance has already committed. Well, it's going to be a busy weekend in Lincoln as we'll have you up to date with everything uh, with Nebraska, Bethune-Cookman, and anything else that develops in the recruiting world as uh, the Husker coaches are are getting very busy here as uh, that December signing date is ever so getting close as Nebraska is trying to get this 2019 class going. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.